1: Hello, hello. Thank you so much for finding Whitehall Sources. Before we get stuck into the politics for you, a quick message from The Resident. These hotels, like their choice in podcasts, are exceptional. Whether you're travelling for business or leisure, at The Resident, you're offered the best rooms, prices and advice for your needs as well. We are so thrilled to be brought to you in association with The Resident, who have proudly backed us since day one. When we're booking a stay in London or Liverpool, it's the resident we head to and it's the resident you should head to. To find out more, click residenthotels.com
2: So when will when will you stop the boat? Uh, well, the boat? well, the first
1: thing to say is we have made progress, and that is that the numbers this year are down by a third, uh, which is considerable still progress. The second
2: highest in in on record though, aren't they this year?
1: Uh, they are for the first ever time down. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources I'm Callum MacDonald We are recording on the 20th of December And here's Kirsty Buchanan Former Special Advisor to Prime Minister Theresa May Hello Kirsty
2: Good morning to you
1: Look at us trudging towards Christmas quite happily now I've got
2: so Gosh. much left to do <laughs> I've,
1: um, I've made it home to my family home in the Western Isles of Scotland which is very nice although the weather has been absolutely vile. Is it blowing a hoolie? <laughs> it's blowing a hoolie. And um, both, I've been here two nights now at time of recording. Both nights I've woken up in the middle of the night to the rain being absolutely pelted off the window by the wind. And um, in true uh, Western Isles fashion, my mum and I yesterday were out and about weighing things down because there's a gale forecast for tonight. It's all happening. It's it really is blowing a hoolie, isn't it? it really what's is.
2: What's the um what's the expression in Scotland for like the equivalent of raining cats and dogs Oh my good I don't
1: know if it's I don't know if I can say it on a podcast. Um what would it be? I don't actually know. That's a good question. Hosing it down? I mean there's worse words than hosing. I probably won't say them because my parents <laughs> listen to the podcast.
2: but But I doubt people in Scotland walk around going oh it's raining cats and dogs
1: out oh no (laughs) only in certain parts of Edinburgh would you hear that sort of expression (laughs) (laughs) meow <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, and most I feel, uh,
2: importantly of all, is the McDonald fire a raging downstairs? Yes, in the no. fireplace. I hasten to add, not the house is on fire.
1: <laughs> so I'm going to give you an exclusive insight here, because uh, what I think you're alluding to is the fact that on Christmas Day morning, on Times Radio, we light the fire program. We're broadcast live from the whole the house here, and we um, and we light the fire as part of that. Until yesterday, there well over the last couple of days, I should say, there's been a bit of doubt about whether the fire was actually operational. There was some concern that the chimney liner had been faulty or whatever. Anyway, the guys came out on Monday and they had the thing in pieces all over the living room. They checked the liner, they put smoke up, they tested the whole thing. Anyway all is operational, the fire will be lit on Hooray! Christmas Day morning, <laughs> on Times Radio uh, we're on air from 7 but the fire's from just after 8 o'clock if you want the moment of the morning to welcome in Christmas yeah. So yes, I mean, forget Santa
2: folks the, 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 fire. That is the that is the real <laughs> true moment, the true that meaning is. of
1: Christmas <laughs> that's right uh, so yeah we're winding down happily towards Christmas and at this point I actually just want to start with a little thank you to everyone who's been listening throughout the year, um, it's been really fun to be here. It has been, well, Kirsty particularly has had a really difficult time. I'm not speaking for her, but it has been busy and stressful and intense. And I'm not actually sure if you've missed a single podcast, Kirsty. <laughs> I think you've been here pretty. I think I
2: missed a couple when I was um, mm. recovering from the mastectomy. Uh, but apart from that, no, I'm, and uh, just a huge thank you to you and to everyone that listens. It's probably one of the single things that i can rank in my like, kind of top five things that have really helped sustain me through what Ooh. has been a really grim year yeah and uh yeah massive massive thank you to you callum and massive thank you to everyone that listens because uh i love doing this podcast and yeah like i say it's really 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 helped me this year apart from just being enormously good fun to do it's just mm. helped sustain me through some very very dark days
1: yeah. Well, we love having you, Kirsty, and we learn. This is the thing. I love doing it because it is fun and I love hanging out with you. But then also we learn stuff, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is a nice bonus, too. Fun um, while
2: learning, what well, exactly. we need to say with the kids. Yeah,
1: (laughs) political nerdery galore. So yes, today is a bit of politics and uh, a bit of Christmas fun and all of that sort of stuff for the next little while on the podcast. But thank you for being there, and uh, there will still be stuff dropping into your feed over the Christmas and New Year period, and then we'll be back properly with great gusto in the New Year. When there's, I mean, there's suggestions in the last couple of weeks, Kirsty, that really from January the general election campaign is actually going to ramp up. We still don't know when it's going to be exactly. But the suggestion is that campaign mode activates from January 2024.
2: Yeah, I think we've had. The, I think we're experiencing the soft launch already. <laughs> uh, I, I think we're beginning to see that that's, that's going to harden up pretty much over uh, over Christmas and into the new year. I, I, I notice a certain amount of disobliging stories about Keir Starmer have begun to surface in the paper. So I'm sure that's Conservative Research Department uh, gearing up for its onslaught um and yeah i mean next year is uh if you're a political nerd the year of all years there's elections i think about something insane like about nine billion people or whatever are taking part in elections next year obviously there's the, the u.s one which is a big one uh and uh, a big movement on that overnight i see um and uh most importantly uh the general election here Mm. Um, which you can, yeah, effectively the starting government will be from January. Uh, it's still uh, up in the air, whether it's May or October, but bottom line is, you know, they'll prep for May uh, and they'll go when they think they have the best chance of either a winning, she said, slightly, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, heroically uh, or stemming their losses. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm mean, like, I don't, I don't want to guess it right now. Uh, All odds at this particular moment would suggest that they would play it long, but Mm. who knows?
1: But who knows? I'm standing by my prediction of a May election. Uh, primarily because I'm stubborn, and I've said that for a little while. <laughs> I feel like I can't change <laughs> my mind now. And but 50
2: 50 chance of being right. I'm,
1: well, I'm digging in on it. Um, you mentioned the US election and, and sort of changes on that overnight, just to mention what those are. So, Colorado's Supreme Court has banned Donald Trump from appearing on the primary election ballot paper in that state after ruling that he engaged in an insurrection by um, fueling that riot at the U.S. Capitol on the 6th of January 2021. And so he is the first presidential candidate in U.S. history to be deemed ineligible by a state to run for the White House. This is under um, the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, if you really want to get technical about it, uh, which bars officials who've engaged in insurrection or rebellion from holding office. So that applies to the primary vote in March. But if it, if it stands, and Trump's team say they're going to appeal it, which could bump it up to the Supreme Court, but if it stands, it would also apply to the presidential election in November. And then there, the suggestion is that if it does stand and does hold, then actually other states might follow suit because there are other um, similar uh, uh, moves, similar sort of legal disputes in Arizona, Michigan, Minnesota, and New Hampshire at this point. So the US Ouch. presidential election is messy already.
2: Yeah, um, uh, and it's fascinating. It, 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 they're going to file a swift appeal to the Supreme Court now. Uh, if ever you doubted what a wonder Britain is to live in, uh, look. The Supreme Court is, a, you know, is is political appointed judges uh, with all that that entails. So uh, once again, celebrate the wonder that is being uh, born British. For we have an independent judiciary, a robust free press. Uh, and a you know and a and a democratically elected government uh, for good or for ill for all of three of those things long may mm. they reign.
1: Here, here. Uh, you mentioned then on the general election here the kind of the stories about Keir Starmer that have already been emerging. Um, we were reporting on the um, Times Radio, a couple, uh, was it last weekend? I think it was last weekend, that the election is anticipated to be really quite dirty, that actually Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak are going to go for each other personally. So on Keir Starmer, it'll be his kind of prosecutorial record, particularly, and this idea that he's a lefty lawyer and that he is Sir Keir Starmer, part of the establishment, can't be trusted, all of that. And then for Rishi Sunak, it's going to be his finances, um, the fact his wife is a kind of billionaire, that he's exceptionally wealthy himself, that he's out of touch, all of these sorts of things. I just, it's, I think one of the considerations with that is it, it doesn't feel like that's naturally where either of them would go. They strike me as quite gentlemanly kind of competitors in some ways. But I wonder what then the attraction of the personal attacks is. Is it—is it that they're trying to distinguish each other from themselves? I don't know. I'm trying to work it out.
2: Uh, and I'm not entirely sure uh, how overspun this story is, to be honest with you. I mean, look, yeah. if you're the Conservative Party, and I separate the Conservative Party out from Rishi Sunak to some certain extent of this, it's a kind of, you know, what have you got to lose <laughs> yeah. uh, at this stage? And and interestingly, you know, uh, they're trying to, A, shore up a core vote, Um uh, and be remind the wider sort of floating voter public that they're not sold on Starmer. They don't know mm-hmm. why, but there's something about Starmer that they're just not bought into. And I think one of those things is that he, not only is he a politician, he was a lawyer. Um, uh, in fact, the director of, of, of public prosecutions at one point. Um, and so I think there's a sort of, what they're trying to you know needle up there is the inherent distrust that the public have Uh, about both lawyers and politicians, Um, uh, and also shore up their core vote. And I'm not sure about the Labour side, to be honest with you. Uh, If I was Keir Starmer, it's off-brand to go on the attack, um, and I would be saying to people, no, and it's also not necessary when you're 20 points ahead. Mm. Um, I think, you know, and if you look at any focus groups or you look at any word clouds, it's not like the public aren't well aware of Rishi's wealth. You know, all those words come up with him all the time in in word clouds and focus groups about out of touch. I don't think you need to, you know, gild that lily if you were. And I just I think it would do Starmer more harm than it would do Rishi Sunak in that sense. So I, if I was him, and I don't, like I said, I don't know whether this story how overbaked this story is, but I would uh, I would tell him to soft pedal on that one because it just at this stage of the game, it's just not necessary.
1: I also wonder as well, if, you know, to make a sort of grand philosophical point, if it just follows that if that is the nature of the campaign, that we we'll, we'll start to lose sight of the substance of policy discussions, and while zingy headlines about somebody's past or being wealthy or who they prosecuted and who they didn't might be quite eye and indeed ear catching, and the nitty gritty of policy might be more difficult and feel like more of a, you know, wading through treacle sometimes. That is actually the important stuff. And we need to kind of prioritize the competence of policy ideas and directions more than tittle tattle headlines. Is there any substance in negative campaigning?
2: Uh, no. And look, you know, and, and by and large, voters don't like it. And voters don't like it for, for a number of reasons. One, it does voters a disservice, right? Slightly patronizing to voters to think that they you know, are more interested in, you know, who's married to who or who once said something 10 years ago on Twitter um, uh, than they are about, you know, the substance of the sort of country that, you know, their elected politicians would aim to build for them and how they aim to tackle really fundamentally, you know, problematic issues that the country faces at the moment, cost of living crisis, NHS... Um, uh, immigration, none of these things—you uh, know—transition to a green economy. None of these things are going to go away, regardless of uh, who is elected in in twenty twenty four. So I think there's that that that's the first thing. The reason that people don't like negative campaigning is it, it, it is it is vaguely patronising. There's also a conversion factor on the ground. So hmm. I worked on the twenty seventeen election, um, and a lot of candidates at the time said. Uh, they had never worked an election before where they'd been subjected to such extreme abuse. Um, uh, and that obviously was fuelled by the, the the fun, binary uh, and polarising nature of the Brexit debate. But nevertheless, uh, it's a bell that's very hard to unring. And, and how politicians treat each other um, is a little bit of, of of what they can expect on the ground. And it puts a lot of people off. And quite importantly, it puts a lot of people off that we need more representation of in parliamentary politics. You know, it puts off a lot of people from ethnic minority backgrounds. It puts off a lot of people. It puts off a lot of women Mm. um, who, you know, funnily enough, don't think that, you know, being abused uh, online and in the street um, uh, is part and parcel of the cut and thrust of modern politics. So, you know, uh, if I can get back to a slightly pompous point this close to Christmas, you know, how politicians treat each other uh, should be the guide and the beacon for how we conduct public debate in this country. And more and more and more, that is not the case. Mm. Uh, And it matters hugely for the quality of the politicians we get because if you, you know, you're, you're turning off so many good people that might stand for politics, but for the fact that they're worried... For themselves, they're worried for their families, um, and they just don't see how they should wade through horrendous abuse uh, and threats. And we've, you know, and we've obviously had, um, uh, you know, sadly, uh, even murders of, of of MPs. If you know, if you were married to someone that wanted to stand, would you say yes? I think it's a great idea, or would you say to them no? Mm think about your safety, think about the family's safety, think about the abuse, etc. And it's, you know, it's a very hard sell. So uh, all in all, I think it's by and large uh, a pretty rum, bad idea, negative campaigning.
1: Yeah. Uh, That is then the general election battle, which we can expect to really ramp up from uh, 2024. I was reading with interest, So Rishi Sunak was at this convention in Italy last weekend, which was put on by... Uh, the right-wing Giorgio Maloney, Prime Minister of um, of Italy, so he was at that, and then the Sunday Times, the Times reported that he would come back. He would kind of, you know, get to recess, which has kicked off now you'd have a couple of days off around Christmas and then he would spend a few days kind of ramping up planning for the election campaign into um, into January as well. So let's see what comes of the new year, shall we? And uh, and whether or not there's a May election. Let's bear in mind that my prediction last year about Nicola Sturgeon resigning was absolutely on the button, on the nose, correct. So um,
2: Now, it's a shame, it, sometimes it's a shame that uh, we don't have a sort of second regular guest because I right now would have been turning to that other regular guest and working out which of us won the the sweepy on how long it would take for Callum to say I was right about predicting (laughs) Nicholas Sturge's resignation and I uh, probably would have lost because I would have shaved it in in the first half an hour Oh no, the mm. one we are in the first half. So there you go. Yes, yes. Still taking it on For those on of that you one. that may have forgotten, <laughs> Callum was right. <laughs> Thank when you. When nobody else was seeing it, Callum predicted that Sturgeon wouldn't last the year out. Uh, yeah. And yes, he was so right. Could he have been more right? <laughs> Put that
1: in a talk bag. Uh, <laughs> I'm just actually the follow-up to that is that today the Scottish government is expected to announce it's not going to challenge that decision on gender recognition reform, which was in many ways the beginning of the end of Nicola Sturgeon was the the controversy that followed the gender recognition reform uh, bill that was voted for by the Scottish Parliament, then blocked by uh, Westminster, then it went to court. And the court ruled that actually Westminster did have the right to block it under the rules of devolution and reserved powers uh, and the um, Equality Act and all of that. But today, and just to come full circle on that, the SNP, Scottish government expected to announce uh, that they're dropping any challenge to that. They're going to let that decision stand. And that'll be that. That's the, yeah, that is the U- the kind of full circle.
2: UK government doing Holyrood a huge solid there, I think. Uh, it's yeah. really got them out of a jam. That is a mess of a legislation that
1: total mess and that's the thing that whatever you think of what it's trying to achieve one of the things to bear in mind is that it is just badly done policy (laughs) so whatever its kind of end goal may have been whatever you think of that whether you support that or whatever the actual bill was a bit of a mess actually
2: first is rule of comms folks good comms is no panacea for bad policy
1: (laughs) very nice
0: Burrow.com slash acast
1: Let me tell you about the resident hotel where I just stayed. That's right, I have been to The Resident in Liverpool for a lovely, lovely stay. I have to be honest, it was wonderful. And I'm not just saying that, I promise you it was great. The warmest of welcome from the lovely reception team, including a lovely welcome card signed by Megan and The Resident team. We were offered a map, we were offered guidance on where to go for food and for drinks. The location was great. We had several activities in Liverpool. We had a friend's birthday dinner. Then we were bowling, we were doing all of that stuff. And all of it was within a 10 minute walk of where the hotel was, which was perfect. Not only that, we had guidance on the best local restaurants and bars where we could also get discounts as a result of staying at the resident. The little kitchen in the hotel room was very, very helpful for coffee drinkers. Unbelievably, I'm not one. There's a little coffee machine right there as well. Do you know what was lovely as well? City center location Double, double glazing. There was the outdoor window, then an indoor window. No noise, I slept like an actual log. Beautiful room, very spacious, well-equipped, lovely hotel, lovely staff, lovely location. Take this as a personal endorsement. I've been there, done that, and you should do the same. Stay at the resident. Right, onward. So that's the battle, really, of uh, 2024 will be the general election campaign. And of course, we will be here to analyse it as it happens. Let's have a think about some of the battles that have been fought in 2023, politically Kirsty, because there's been, there's been plenty to choose from. Particularly, it would seem for Rishi Sunak, who has now been Prime Minister for, what, just over a year, kind of 14 months or so, approximately. Um, but he's had, he's had a lot of battles on a lot of fronts. There are some characters involved in this. I'm thinking of Boris Johnson. I'm thinking of Suella Braverman. Um, But but more broadly, I'm thinking of actually the Tory party. And, you know, this has been a theme of the podcast since we started around the Liz Truss Um, premiership that actually trying to unite the party is proving impossible. And here we are now under Rishi Sunak for 14 months, and we're sort of ending 2023 with, I think it's fair to say, exactly the same thought that he's struggling to unite the Conservative Party.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll go back to the to, to the to the message that his age delivered to the party uh, uh, when he came into office, which was unite or die, uh, and clearly a, a substantial rump of the party have opted for the latter uh, uh, option uh, in that sense. And look, you know, this is a this is a continuation of a battle that has been raging within the Conservative Party since David Cameron thought it was a good idea to try and. Stave off the uh, threat of UKIP by having an election on uh, whether we should be part of the European Union or not, um, and and actually all it did was fuel uh, the uh, right of the party. Um, and uh, I, I notice again that you know immigration obviously has has delightfully brought Mark Francois back onto my uh, onto my <laughs> television screen. Uh, oh joy. Um, uh, and so, actually, what you've what you've increasingly got is a is a, is an ever confident, uh, ever growing um, uh, insurgent right within the party that uh, perhaps, with good evidential basis, thinks it kind of runs the show now. Um, and I've yet to see uh, a prime minister. and We've had a few. Um, really challenge that. I mean, even Boris Johnson, who instinctively is not a, you know, Boris Johnson is instinctively a uh, a one nation conservative, but he was put there by the uh, insurgent right, um, and he uh, uh, in most things, uh, like obviously Liz Truss, willingly and Rishi Sunak, pragmatically, I suspect, uh, does more to appease that right of the party. Than it does to do, you know, to to follow their natural their natural instincts, and um we talk about you know factions within the within the party, and there are many. But I think Tom Peck, who's a new sketch writer, is he for the Times? Yeah, very that's funny right. he's, he's too, brilliant.
1: Reed. Tom Peck, very Absolutely enjoyable
2: read, and he was talking about. Uh, I think it was Mark Francois that pompously referred to these these right wing. Factions of the parties, the five families. That's right. Uh, but he pointed out actually that you know they might have different names, but effectively it's the same group of people. In you know all all five of them, or four mm-hmm. of them at least, um, uh, and they amount to the same sort of thing. You know, on any kind of contested issue, you know where you know whether it's the ERG or the New Conservatives or the Common Sense Group, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know where they're going to sit on issues. Um, And so, in essence, you've got a kind of two-way split, one of which is, you know, uh, I'm not going to call it the five families. Uh, One is those five factions, one side of the fact, and the other is the the one nation. Um, And, you know, the big challenge for the Conservative Party, never mind the general election, is to find a leader who uh, can unite these very disparate sides of the party again um, it has always been a broad church. Has always had those kind of two sides to it, but they've pushed so far apart in the increasing polarisation of political debate that I wonder whether the, the, the roof of the church is about to fall in, mm. you know. And I listened to uh, Robert Buckland, who's very much a one-nation conservative, uh, on the television the other day, and someone raised a prospect of Nigel Farage coming into the party, and he said, well, you know, can you, can, can you imagine me and Farage being in the same party And the... The simple answer to that is no. I don't think they mm. can. Um, look, I think the, the Farage joining the Conservative Party is a bit of mischief making, um, uh, and I think it is unlikely to happen uh, because anyone who has aspirations to lead the party would not let someone as uh, you know to the right as charismatic as, as Farage in uh, because he would eclipse all other contenders to the crown. Um, so yeah, and, and my guess is uh, that if the Conservatives lose the next general election. Uh, the right will double down. You know, they will they will su- succeed in electing a leader uh, who is very much of, of that uh, part of the party um, and their fortunes will continue to uh, degrade until the pendulum swings back to an acceptance that, you know, most of Britain wants to be governed from the centre ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the recent history of Labour has taught us that. It pushed to the extremes under Jeremy Corbyn, uh, and it ended up with the worst uh, election result since 1935. I, I feel that the Conservatives are heading in the same direction and it will be, you know, uh, it'll it'll get worse, if you like, for them before it gets better.
1: It is fascinating because, albeit for kind of different reasons, what we've said before on the podcast is that Sir Keir Starmer has been able to kind of re-navigate the Labour Party in the post-Corbyn years, if you like, like take that new sense of direction, new sense of purpose and build. And that was that was stage one, wasn't it, of his plan was to kind of rebuild the, the Labour Party from the kind of anti-Semitism days. And it's just notable that now here we are talking about how the Conservative Party, if they end up in opposition within the next year, as I say, for different reasons, will have to do the same thing, that there, there's going to have to be a real effort to... Can I say defragment the party?
2: Ah, oh, but interestingly, that's exactly what I don't think will happen. I think right. they will double down on the direction yeah. that they have been going in for the last decade. And they will end up with a with a leader who is very much of that insurgent right. You will then end up in a in a general election in four or five years' time uh, where the results will be even worse for them. Um, then they suspect that they might very well be in 2024, and only then will the pendulum swing back. Assuming that someone has come through the ranks with the charm, the charisma, and the leadership to say, "No, we need to get back to the to the centre ground." But you know, a party really needs to uh, have this you know message delivered loud and clear. I mean, it you know, I mean that's Starmer's instincts anyway. But but they're but going into a general election or. Or succeeding as leader after a general election when you've had the worst results since 1935, it's a bit of a no-brainer what mm. you need to do in terms of. You know, and look, I'm not detracting from from Keir Starmer on this. He expended a lot of political capital uh, going further than uh, you know. Frankly, a lot of people thought he would do in weeding out you know the extremists and the cranks and the anti-Semites from the party. Um, now, some of that was because he didn't have any choice. It was mandated by law by the um, uh, by the Equalities Commission. Um, uh, but, but also, it's his instinct. You know, he needs to lead a party from the centre ground. Um, and you know, and that is that is the lesson. You know, the recent lesson of of, of Labour, and I suspect that will be the lesson that you know the Conservatives are going to to find over the next five years. Um, and like most lessons in life, they tend to be painful
1: yeah and have you all noted that very long term prediction there from Kirsty about what will happen at the next general election <laughs> after this
2: one uh, Wait, the so podcast will still be going and you exactly. will dig this out and prove me right slash yeah. wrong <laughs> um, right. and is this a good time to mention again like you were right Callum <laughs> <but I understand. laughs>
1: thank you very much I'm glad I didn't have to you're, say it that you're, time you're most right perfect. so take note the so money better recorded. be in the
2: post Callum <laughs>
1: The recording of the 20th of December is when Kirsty launched herself into a prediction five or six years out of an election. The
2: conservatives are heading for their worst ever.
1: I mean, as political messaging goes, it's pretty bold, even for you, Buchanan.
2: I said, I suspect. I didn't say I predicted. So, yeah. Always coaching I, I am a spin. There is always a caveat in there. I am a spin to <laughs> yeah. by instinct. Uh, yeah, that was heavily caveated.
1: No, good. Noted. Noted. Uh, shall we go on to discuss what I'm calling Moments of the keer? I.e. <laughs> the, the kind of... Fla- <laughs> annoyingly, I, I should have had a jingle really for that, shouldn't I? No,
2: what um, you should have had was that, that, that sound that goes... Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, I don't have anything on here that would be any good. Uh, anyway, we'll have to skip past it. Moments of the Kier. And this is the kind of standout moments for a Keir Starmer. Such as they were. And I suppose my mind immediately goes to his glittery conference speech, um, where he was getting set to deliver his, well, what was being described as, his, you know, his most important speech of his political career, set the direction of the Labour Party... All of this sort of stuff, and uh, somebody ran on stage and, and covered him in glitter um, and he had to take off his jacket and roll up his sleeves and you know all the political metaphors that that speaks to. That is definitely one memorable moment. I'm not sure then we're entirely sure what was in his speech other than you know a bit of glitter here and there um, but is Is that his standout moment of the year? Am I being a bit a bit a bit unkind, and that's all I remember?
2: Yeah, I mean, he's he's secured some... You know, Labour has secured some thumping by-election victories uh, uh, yeah, under point. his watch. Good point. Uh, which have done a lot to solidify his leadership within the Labour Party and silence his critics. Uh, I mean, you know, Tamworth, Shelby, Mid-Beds, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, you can argue this is more about the, the crumbling state of the Conservative Party than anything else, but these were massive, massive victories for him. They had a great... Uh, local election set of results. Not you know, not transformative, not breakthrough, but then, you know, steady, steady, steady as she goes, uh, with the exception of of Uxbridge, which was a was a separate case around a, a very particular local issue around uh low emission zones. Um uh, they've they've slammed dunked every single by-election going. Um mm. to Rish's eternal joy, I've no doubt there's another one brewing in the new year uh peter bone um
1: in wellingborough has,
2: uh in wellingborough yeah so peter bone the conservative mp there um uh, has been forced out by a uh, recall petition uh now his majority in in wellingborough is is a, is a pretty hefty 18500 odd i think yeah that's right um that would require an 18% swing um but we are now in a world where that is not impossible i mean mm. you know tamworth selby mid beds were all a bigger swing than that um uh so that would set uh labor up uh and help build that kind of sense of momentum and confidence going into a uh, cameron uh, Callum predicted uh <laughs> may general election <laughs> would it not uh, the yeah. thing I just as an aside, I think the thing that I find delightful about uh, already about Wellingborough is obviously Labour have been quick off the mark. They've already got a candidate. They've already got a campaign manager and they already know uh, what they'll be campaigning on, presumably based on sort of polling and focus groups. Um, and again, it's one of those things that I just is so delightfully British. Uh, they will be campaigning uh, to improve the NHS, to reduce crime and potholes. Um, and I love the idea that this kind of seismic moment in the run-up to the general election that you know the battle will be over potholes. Um, but on a slightly serious note about potholes, <laughs> you know, it is it, because uh, because council funding is is now so dire that you know quite often you know and you've got a lot of councils facing bankruptcy and we'll probably have more uh, councils going uh, going under in 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 twenty twenty four. You know, councils have mandatory responsibilities, you know, around childcare and what have you. So things that, you know, anything that is, you know, was essential uh, that is now deemed low-hanging fruit because it's not literally a mandatory responsibility uh, gets cut and cut and cut. And I mean, <laughs> you know, I driving around where I live, you know, the potholes have become things that, you know, Whole villages could fall into, uh, so I, I'm, I'm sort of I'm touched that it's in there, but not remotely surprised that Parliament yeah. will be one of the key battlegrounds uh, of of this uh, this fundamentally important by election. Um, but yeah, so I think for me, uh, I think those are his standout moments. I think I think personally for Brand Starmer, he did the right thing at at at, at, um, at conference. He did a speech that was about. Uh, I mean, yes, we all roll our eyes now when he says I was the son of a toolmaker. <laughs> yes, we know, um, but it was it was exactly where it needed to be. This yeah. was my background. These are the values my parents instilled in me. Therefore, uh, this is why I want to see a country based on those values, and you know, and I will build towards uh, you know creating that country for you. Um, and it needed to be broadly a kind of you know a personal plus vision thing kind of speech this should should have been the same um and sunak speech was a was a bizarre uh uh mishmash of of three uh, apparently you know groundbreaking policies uh, which i've struggled to remember uh, one of them now um uh, dropping
1: hs2 changing exams uh a levels and stopping smoking and stopping smoking. It was the changing
2: it. exams one that, 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 that always really, I I struggled struggle to remember. Um but the two stopping ones, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can remember. But 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 his should have been the same. His should have been about values mm. and the sort of country he wants to build. And his was entirely a missed opportunity, whereas Stalmers was, was capitalized on the fact that he was covered in glitter. Um, uh, and had to roll up his sleeves, et cetera, et cetera, and dealt with all that so calmly, Mm. was just one of those, sometimes politicians just, you know, get lucky. Um, uh, And the speech would have been fine anyway, but it was just one of those moments that, you know, you just think, You know, when everything's going your way, it's going your way. And then you look at Sunak and you think, you know, geez, you can't get arrested right now, mate. Everything that can go wrong (laughs) is going wrong. You know, you've got MPs getting recalled left, right and centre. You've got, you know, like I say, a a resurgent uh, rump of the right of the party that that thinks it's got you by the cojones. Um, You've got this flashpoint immigration bill, uh, that you you know you didn't need to, you know, be the hill on which you die, but it might very well be now. Um and you've got yet another horrendous by-election staring you in the face probably at the start of February. Um and that's before we even talk about, you know, little crises like, you know, what's going on in the Red Sea right now, which could mm. prove really problematic from a cost of living point of view. Um so, uh, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not going to be a happy new year for Rishi Sunak. Let's put There's it a lot
1: though. going on. Yeah, exactly. Do you know, it's funny, uh, you mentioned Rishi Sunak couldn't get arrested. Do you remember he got a fixed penalty notice this year for not wearing a seatbelt? That was what. <laughs> that was one of the moments of the year, surely. <laughs>
2: Do you know what my absolute favourite moment of the yeah, year was? Yeah, go on. Oh yeah, go uh, on. In, ter- in terms of Rishi Sunak. And it's very, it's both gloriously, brilliantly kind of, uh Understated in that very British way, but also wonderfully childish uh so when uh Rishi sunak you know uh threw his toys out of the pram uh, and refused to meet the Greek prime minister oh, yeah. uh, after he'd been on on the television and uh not unreasonably said could they have uh historic culturally significant artifacts back in their own country, please, after they got stolen a hundred plus years ago uh by Lord Elgin. Um, uh, And he refused to meet him. And then the next day he had to meet the king uh, and the king wore uh, the Greek tie. And I thought, you know, getting trolled (laughs) by the king uh, has got to be probably the highlight slash lowlight of anybody's kind of political career. And I just... You know, I mean, I don't know how many ties King Charles has, but I'm guessing a load.
1: Quite a few. (laughs) Um,
2: And, you know, that was no accident and it was just, (laughs) yeah, just a delight, that kind of, I'm watching, you know, the the final series of The Crown, um, uh, which, again, you know, for all its faults, um, uh, but that kind of wonderfully understated, very British kind of sense of humour about stuff, I think it was all there in that, Mm. Uh, if a... If a tie could be tart, that is what that, that was.
1: <laughs> I like that. Um, I've also written down, you know, the, the Wellingborough by-election, you mentioned NHS, crime and potholes. I actually wonder how many constituencies could be won on that, as, as, uh, on those three things, you know, because th- those, are, those are important issues for people. So I just, I actually wonder <laughs> how that would extrapolate.
2: Well, and it's interesting because for more than a year, Starmer and the Labour Party have been going heavy on crime. Um, and, it's, you know, and when you think of crime and the party of law and order, you think of the Conservatives. But clearly there is something feeding through in Labour's focus groups and polling uh, that shows that actually the on-ground experience of people is they feel unsafe. Uh, and they are very worried about crime, it comes up, you know, this has been something that we've remarked on before, you know, that this has been a a heavy messaging, you know, area for Labour for over a year now. So clearly it's something that that people feel. And the other problem, of course, with crime, in a cost of living crisis, property crime goes up. Uh, When things are going well, unfortunately, personal crime goes up. Uh, But property crime very much is on the up and up. Uh, when you're in a time of recession or, mm-hmm. or um, uh, you know things are tough, so you know I suspect it probably uh, m- you know masks a lot of things that m- maybe people don't even report anymore. You know their bikes got stolen, their cars been broken into, someone's had a go at getting into their house but not managed it, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So all these kind of you know antisocial behaviour maybe is on the rise again. Mm um you know and people don't feel safe in their own streets and uh you know it 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 plays into that that sort of much greater sense of of insecurity that we all feel because of great transitional shifts uh, in energy because of massive tur- geopolitical turbulence um which again comes back to my point is i am absolutely uh, bemused as to why the conservatives don't go into the election Saying the word security uh, on everything till uh, we all get bored of hearing it energy security, Mm. national security, you know, uh, security, you know, uh, fighting crime, bringing crime down. I mean, this is the party of law and order. Um, It should be solid ground for them. Um, It gets them away from all sorts of things they can't fight on, like the NHS, I suspect, right now. Mm. Um, uh, And you know uh, border security etc cetera, etc cetera. uh i don't understand why they just don't don't frame everything through that prism because it it it's traditionally strong territory for them it gets them away from weak territory um uh, and they cannot allow labor to frame the, the 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 battle lines and the terms of engagement for this general election yeah um because they'll be you know it'll be really problematic for them. So uh, a piece of unasked for advice no, it's good. Uh, <laughs> for uh, CCHQ there is, you know, security would be the name of the game for me into mm. the, in, in general election comms.
1: The security election. I think we've got a title for our final episode of the year, uh, Kirsty. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. So the next time we talk in sort of person for a recording – Will be in January when we could be in an election campaign officially. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and there you are. If you've never heard any of the podcast before, that explains the dynamic. Me bloviating <laughs> and Kirsty being very well informed and offering her expertise. Uh, that's what we've done all year for 2023. That's what we do. That's what we've done since we started. And that's what we'll do in 2024. <laughs> wonderful with with guests with guests yeah we've had to be fair we've had some good guests in the last uh, in the last few weeks um, in this sort of term in this parliamentary term you know everyone from Alex Thomas who was giving evidence to the Covid inquiry and was able to kind of cast his critical eye over the evidence of others to Labour insiders like Max Wilson um, really brilliant to get his insight as well Uh, so there's lots more of those sorts of people to come in 2024 which of course will be a really important year for you to be plugged in to a politics podcast like this one and we would love to have you there Kirsty, thank you very much indeed you are brill great to chat
2: thank you and uh happy christmas to the mcdonald family and uh, i look forward to seeing the, the flames are roaring <laughs> on uh, christmas day and uh, uh yeah and and happy christmas to uh all our listeners yeah thank you for all your support uh uh, this year like I say it's been a grim old year for me personally and it means a lot to know that people uh are listening um to my witterings thank you um and uh, yeah and, and happy 2024
1: and to you Kirsty, and to you and family indeed as well happy Christmas to you all Uh, we will keep in touch of course and yes join us for the fire lighting on Times Radio on Christmas Day breakfast if you want Christmas Day from 7 o'clock we'll speak to you then subscribe to the podcast there's lots to come over the Christmas break by the way Um, there's highlights there's all sorts of good stuff for you to get your political brain into if you'd like to in the next couple of weeks Uh, but we will talk to you again in the new year so from us Merry Christmas Happy New Year and we'll talk to you in 2024